We're going to continue looking at the mini-series of the life of Moses and the children of Israel. When we started this, I didn't know how much we were going to gain from this story, but there's a lot to glean. There's a lot to gain from this one little event. I guess it's a long event, but it's, it's one book, and there's so many classic stories in the book of Exodus. And we're going to look at another one today, sort of a sad one, but it's going to be really helpful for us, I, I pray as the Lord would help us understand what it means to trust in him and stay devoted to him once again. Before we get to the text, I want to ask you a question. Did you ever have to change your perspective on doing something difficult? Did you ever have to change your perspective on doing something hard? Well, is there anything more hard, more recent than the pandemic we're dealing with right now? The coronavirus pandemic is hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's weird. And many of us are, are facing uh, fatigue and stress and loneliness, and maybe we need a fresh perspective. So before we get to the text, I want to open this up in a light way and ask us, do we ever have to change our perspective on doing something hard? And I want to look at today with you the 10 greatest things about a pandemic lockdown. The 10 greatest things about a pandemic lockdown. You'll have to humor me. We don't have anybody here to laugh except Luke and Pastor Mel. So if you guys think these are funny, laugh. If not, laugh at home and tell me you did later. But the 10 greatest things about a pandemic lockdown. Number one, those pajamas with holes in it that were destined for the trash are now upgraded to my Zoom meeting safe place. Yes, thank you guys. Top greatest things about a pandemic lockdown, number two, each day, I, each day I get out of bed by 10.30 and get dressed by noon, I reward myself with a sleeve of Oreos. Yes. Okay, we're getting great feedback here. Uh, number three greatest thing about a pandemic lockdown, when someone asks me on a virtual meeting if I have gained weight, I just blame it on my sluggish internet connection, and then I reward myself with a sleeve of Oreos. Number four, greatest thing about a pandemic lockdown, since I have four 12-packs of Charmin toilet paper jammed in my linen closet, I find myself less less judgmental while watching those those shows about hoarders. I don't know if anybody's stockpiling toilet paper, but I find myself to have more than what is common. Uh, Number five, greatest thing about a pandemic lockdown, I tried 15 new casserole recipes I found on the internet, and I realized tuna is incredibly versatile. Good old tuna. Number six, when the UPS guy comes to the door, he's not shocked anymore to find me waiting for him like an excited puppy. Sixth greatest thing about a pandemic lockdown. Number seven, greatest thing about a pandemic lockdown. I don't get judgmental looks anymore when I go to get my mail in my pajamas. In fact, someone asked me the other day, what's the special occasion? That's a great thing about a pandemic lockdown. No one judges you in your pajamas anymore. Number eight, My Alexa sassed me the other day when I asked her what the weather was like. She said, you know it doesn't matter. You're not going anywhere. But then she put on rainy days and Mondays by the Carpenters, and we both had a good cry. Eight greatest thing about a pandemic lockdown. Number nine, I found a great way to keep track of which day it is. I shower on Mondays. I brush my teeth on Tuesdays. I shave on Wednesdays. I eat no microwave meals on Thursdays. I get dressed on Fridays, and on the weekends, I vacuum the Doritos crumbs off my bedsheets. That's a little trick for everybody if you want to remember the days of the week. And number 10, greatest thing about a pandemic lockdown, I figured out how to set my bathroom scales calibration behind 10 pounds, so it completely agrees with me when I step on the scale to weigh myself. And because of this, I rewarded myself with a sleeve of Oreos. Guys, you got to change your perspective on the pandemic right now. It's, it's hard, it's difficult, it's long. I told Pastor Mel that today when we drove up here that there was kind of a cool factor at the beginning. I don't mean that weird, but we, were, we had the technology and we were able to do this, you know, even in spite of not meeting. And for a couple of weeks, it was kind of cool and we had this technology set up and now it just feels really long and I miss you guys and, and I hope it ends very, very soon, but we will trust the Lord with that. So let's get into the text today. The lesson title today is going to be called Rising Above the Waves. Rising above the waves. And we're going to look at a portion from Exodus and also a portion from John chapter 6. So have your Bibles ready as we look at this today. But we're going to open it this, this time, this week, by looking at what Pastor Mel spoke to us last week about the Red Sea crossing. A really amazing story about how God split the waters in two. The Israelites walked through on dry ground. He protected them from the Egyptians once again. The water closed on the Egyptians and all the Israelites were kept safe. It's an amazing story, an amazing miracle of God's protection of his people. 
And I want to notice the last two verses of chapter 14 of Exodus before we get into our chapter, which is chapter 15. Notice the last two verses of chapter 14 uh, from last week. It said, Thus said, excuse me, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Now that sets the stage very well for our chapter, chapter 15, because the Israelites, of course, saw this firsthand. It was really powerful, really amazing what the Lord did to protect them. And we were all able to witness this glorious salvation of the Lord upon his people from the mighty hand of God. It's an amazing story. Chapter 15 opens up, and we have something significant taking place here. A song is sung unto the Lord by the people, the children of Israel, for the great grace that God had showed them in the protection of the Red Sea. And we're going to read the first 21 verses of Exodus chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, join me there. And I want you to notice this song sung unto the Lord. Exodus 15, verses 1 to 21. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the, water, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and the horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. Did you ever just find yourself in needing of praising the Lord, worshiping the Lord, even in day-to-day life? Sometimes, I'm going to be honest, uh, driving in my car or sitting in my office, I'm just overwhelmed by a sense of who God is, and I just... Even though I'm not a great singer, I have to belt out to the Lord. I have to sing to the Lord. It's just something that's sort of spontaneous in my heart. And so I sang a song unto the Lord because of how great he is and how good he's been to me. Have you ever done that? I will say this confidently as well. I miss our band. I miss worshiping together with my church. That's one of the hardest things about this pandemic is not being able to sing to the Lord together as a congregation. I miss that. I hope you guys are finding ways to worship the Lord during this time. But in chapter 15, we have a song. We have a praise song, a love song sung unto the Lord by the children of Israel for all that the Lord had done for them up to that point. And it's really a glorious chapter. 
And most of this chapter is filled with a praise song to the Lord for how good he is, how great he is, how worthy he is to be praised. And this is exactly what should have happened. This is a good thing. This is exactly what should have happened. After the Lord protected and saved his people by getting them out of Egypt, protecting them from the plagues, and now splitting the Red Sea in two so they could walk on dry ground, what else should take place than a worship service unto the Lord? And that's a great chapter to read through. In this chapter, the people are in tune, no pun intended, with how great their God is. And they're singing a song unto the Lord for his greatness, his goodness, his steadfast love. Have you ever done that? Have you done that recently? Our Lord is worthy of that. Just like the Israelites, we love the highs of life, don't we? We like like when life is great, when life is easy, when life is safe, when life is rich, when life is blessed. I think that's one of the reasons this time is so challenging for us right now because it's not really any of those things. All of these things are being threatened right now, but we love the highs of life. We're told that moments filled with joy and gladness is what life is truly about. A lot of people have this phrase in their home uh, nailed up somewhere. It says, live, love, laugh, right? We love the highs of life. We love when life is treating us well. We love when we can laugh together and sing songs together. People also want to scale the highest mountains and experience the greatest thrills of life in order to find this feeling of euphoria, I looked at the word euphoria, and it means a feeling, of, a feeling or state of intense excitement and happiness. Have you ever felt euphoria? Have you felt euphoria in the last several weeks? A feeling or state of intense excitement and happiness? We all know the feelings when God does something so great for us, so magnificent for us, that we sense his intense love for us. And we feel this sort of spiritual euphoria in our souls and our hearts. And that's a good thing when we're recognizing God's blessings in our life, when we see God's amazing love and recognize his blessings and we want to sing to him. And we should sing unto the Lord. The problem with today's Christianity, though, is that we're fickle beings with fickle love. The word fickle means changing frequently in regards to loyalty. Fickle means changing frequently in regard to loyalties. We're fickle beings, aren't we? We praise the Lord on the mountaintops of life, but we need the Lord in the valleys of life. When we're on the mountaintops of life, we praise the Lord, but we don't need the Lord. When we're in the valleys of life, like we are right now, we need the Lord, but we often don't praise the Lord. But wouldn't it be great if the Lord could always have our dependency and our praise? At all times of our life, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to be so fickle? And I'm including myself in that. As an illustration, and we're going to take this illustration along with us today. Have you ever been to the beach when the waves were really big and really intense? About 20 years ago or so, my dad, my brother, and I went down to Florida. Do you remember that? And uh, it was was a trip we took for my brother's uh, graduation. And we were just sort of celebrating that. We went down to Florida just to have some time and fun together. And... On one of these days that we went to the beach, the waves were really high and really intense. And I don't know if you guys like going to the beach when the waves are so big. It's kind of fun, even though it's a little bit dangerous. I like to be able to stand or try to stand in the midst of the big waves, see if I can take on the waves. And on this particular day, that was not possible because these waves were throwing us around like ragdolls. These waves were really big. They were really strong. And none of us, including Pastor Mel, had the strength to stand in the midst of these waves. They were throwing us around, tossing us about. Have you ever been in the ocean when waves were that big and that strong and that powerful? Well, life is full of waves, isn't it? Or you could say trials. Life is full of trials, but we're going to use the illustration of waves today. Life is full of waves, huge breaker waves that come upon us one after another with very little space in between. Doesn't life seem that way? Doesn't life seem that way even right now? It's wave after wave after wave. And we get through one wave, we stand up, we get our footing, and then another wave hits us right after that. If you have kids, you know what that's like especially. In fact, today, our little daughter Evangeline is is suffering from a tummy bug. And with kids, as many kids as we have, it just seems like that wave after wave after wave. And I know life feels that way for many of us right now. But depending upon our perspective... Giant waves in the ocean, at least, can either be very thrilling, 
They can help us experience the feeling of euphoria we just described. If we can surf on top of the wave, I've never done that before. I don't think I ever will. But some of you may have surfed on top of a wave. And that's a feeling of euphoria. That's a thrill. That's a good feeling. But waves can also, based on our experience, cause us extreme grief when those very same waves crash over our lives and drive us into the sand below. Um, tomorrow is our twins' sixth birthday. Tomorrow the twins, Titus and Levi, turn six. Happy birthday, guys. And uh, I remember six years ago when that process began, the twins were born nine weeks premature, and it was scary. They weren't supposed to be born that early. It's a scary thing to be born that early. And so they were sort of rushed into what was called the NICU. And they had to stay there for a couple months and be watched over with 24-7 care. And I remember that being very scary. And, and then we finally got the twins back. And that was scary in another sense because now we were in charge of the twins. And there were no nurses watching out for them. And we were the ones taking care of two brand new babies at the same time. And that was scary. But I'm also able to say this as a father of twins. My wife is a mother of twins. Twins are a thrill. It's a thrill. It's a thrill for my dad and my mom um, to be grandparents of twins. Having twins is both like a wave. It's like euphoric at times and it's fearful at times. But you see, the Israelites had just surfed some giant waves, figuratively, but maybe even literally speaking in the Red Sea. And in Exodus 15, they're experiencing this euphoria, this euphoric feeling of having just been on top of the waves of life. And therefore, they're singing a glorious worship service unto the Lord. And again, that's what should have happened. That's what should have happened because of what took place. But I wish I could say that this is where our story ends or that from this point on, the Israelites were always devoted devoted to the Lord always trusting in the Lord, always staying on top of the waves of life and trusting in him because they were clearly aware of what he had done for them. They are in chapter 15, very aware, very specific of what God had done for them by bringing them through the Red Sea. And remembrance and thanksgiving of God's salvation had brought them to the doorstep of devotion to him. They were so close. They were so close to lifelong devotion to the Lord if they could have just kept that remembrance and that thanksgiving and that praise. They would have stayed devoted unto the Lord. And I wish I could tell you that's where our story stuck and changed and lasted, but it didn't. But before we get back to that story, there's another story in the New Testament, a parallel story that reminds me of this story. It's in John chapter 6. It's the people that just experienced the feeding of the 5,000 from Jesus' miracle of taking two loaves or uh, five loaves and two fish and breaking those apart and apart and apart until 5,000, maybe even 10,000 people, because there were women and children as well, five to 10,000 people were stuffed. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 6, and we're going to read the first 14 verses of John chapter 6. John 6, starting in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. 
These people in John chapter 6 had also surfed a giant wave that day by defying hunger and finding great satisfaction from the food that Jesus provided from a very small amount of food. It's a miracle. It's an amazing miracle to take that little food and feed so many people with it. We're talking about in our country right now, there might be a meat shortage. Imagine five to 10,000 people and you have one meal to make that last for everybody. And Jesus does it. He breaks it apart, breaks it apart, breaks it apart. And not only is everybody stuffed, they have 12 baskets of food left over. It's a miracle. And that left these people feeling the sense of euphoria. Joy and gladness was in their hearts, along with a lot of food. And they came to this conclusion that Jesus was worthy, was obviously worthy of their everything. They wanted to make him king. And isn't that how we are? Fickle? Fickle beans. I'm going to give you an example of that. I find myself, when I go to the grocery store, especially now, I find myself incredibly patient with people. Uh, people get in my way, you, know, you come around a corner and someone's cart gets in the way of your cart. And I'm like, oh, you know, no big deal. Excuse me. I apologize. No, you go ahead. Go right in front of me. And I'm very patient, very kind. And so are they to me. But we get in our cars to go home and someone cuts me off or I cut someone else off. And what happens? It's time to fight. It's time to die. It's road rage takes over. And I, I don't know why we are like that. Why are we so fickle that way? Why are we so quickly to go up and crash back down? You see, most of us love praising the Lord in worship services. And we love it for one of two reasons. Either it's because we feel the Lord is worthy of our praise and it's our joy to give him the honor he so richly deserves. Or it's because that worship service allows us, at least for a moment, to experience this feeling of euphoria and to feel like we're surfing on top of the giant waves of life. And we love that feeling. That's why we sing loud declarations to the Lord. I could sing of your love forever. It's like a spiritual shout of victory over the devil. And the Lord is worthy of that kind of devotion and worship and praise, is he not? And I don't want anyone to feel weird about worshiping the Lord, whether you're here in a service when we eventually return or in your car or at home or in the shower. Worship the Lord in loud declarations and praise. I want you to listen to this glorious doxology in Romans chapter 11 and consider how worthy our Lord is for us to say and praise him this way. In verse 33 of Romans 11, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable, that word means impossible to understand, how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forevermore. Amen. What if you and I were always able to live in this kind of experience? to live praising the Lord, trusting in him and staying devoted to him at all times, regardless of what giant waves were coming at us in this life. Isn't that the ideal Christianity? To love the Lord on the mountaintops and in the valleys. To praise him on the mountaintops and in the valleys. To need him on the mountaintops and in the valleys. Isn't that the ideal relationship we want with the Lord where he knows our love at all times? Unfortunately, our story with the children of Israel takes an ugly turn only days after. The Israelites went from surfing on top of the giant breaker waves of life to in a moment being convinced that they were underneath the waves or about to drown. In Exodus chapter 16, take your Bibles and go back to Exodus 16 and look at verses 2 to 3. This is one chapter later. In chapter 15, it's a song of praise. In chapter 16, listen to verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Fickle, fickle love, fickle devotion. In chapter 15, they're pouring their hearts out to God in praise, in worship, and in adoration. And in chapter 16, they're blaming God for being so cruel to them. 
This is shockingly sad. I read this and I've read it before and I've been shocked before and I read it again and I was shocked again, saying, how could this happen? Our Lord did richly deserve a song of praise in chapter 15 for what he did for the nation of Israel by getting them through the Red Sea, by protecting them from the plagues and protecting them from the nation of Egypt. But did he deserve this complaint-filled and doubtful response from his people only days later? I want you to consider the change of attitude from the children of Israel. In chapter 15, they're convinced that the Lord has kept them from sure death in the most dramatic of fashions. They're aware. They understand. They get it, what God has done for them. And they're praising him for it. And in chapter 16, they're convinced that he has abandoned them. To the point that perhaps his entire intent, his entire plan was to bring them in the wilderness to kill them. Wow, how could that happen? Just moments before they were surfing on top of the giant waves of life and feeling extreme joy and gladness because of it. And now they're convinced that much smaller waves were sent to kill them. Are we maybe thinking that right now during this pandemic? Lord, you saved us. You brought us through so much. You've done so much for us to bring us to this pandemic to kill us. I hope not. I hope that's never entered into our minds, but it's possible. It's possible we're that fickle to remember what the Lord has done, to praise him in in one sense of life and in another sense to feel that he's abandoned us completely. How does this happen? How did it happen? Unless we think this is an isolated incident and it's too boorish to ever happen again, we have a similar event taking place in John chapter 6 following that great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. After Jesus performed this miracle, he told the crowd later in the chapter, that they didn't need physical bread primarily. What they really needed was the bread of life. They needed Jesus, who could satisfy them forever. See, bread, physical bread, could only satisfy them for one meal. But Jesus, the bread of life, can satisfy them forever. So he said this phrase, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And we know, of course, Jesus was not talking about physical He's not talking about cannibalism or anything weird like that. He's talking about being spiritually nourished by Jesus. That's really what they needed. They didn't need more physical bread. They needed the bread of life. And after Jesus tells them that, we have a weird response from the people in verse 66. Notice this in John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Fickle love. Fickle devotion. Do you see what's happening? Only days before, the people were surfing on top of the giant waves and were bowing to Jesus in adoration, wanting to make him their king. They had eaten so much food from Jesus' miracle. They were stuffed. They were satisfied. They were feeling euphoria. And now later in the chapter, after Jesus speaks some hard truths to them, truths they need, they're sure the waves of life are going to crush them. And they want to get out of the ocean. They were so close to devotion, so close to lifelong allegiance to Jesus, but they can't receive the hard hard truths. And so they're abandoning Jesus. They're walking away from Jesus. Back in Exodus 15, our main story, we have a remarkable chapter of praise to the Lord. And this is one of the most beautiful songs that was ever written to the Lord because it flows purely from the hearts of the Israelites. This doesn't sound planned. It doesn't sound like there was a worship leader. It just sounds like a whole bunch of people that experienced a great salvation got together and said, let's praise the Lord for how good he is. It sounds spontaneous. It sounds made up. It sounds kind of like when I make up songs to my children. Uh, And I sing those songs, and I hate that, by the way, because I'm always changing the lyrics to common songs. And they're always saying, Dad, you're not a good singer. Stop that. But these people are spontaneously in worship and praise, singing a song unto the Lord. And this song is fueled by the hearts of those who had experienced his great salvation. It's beautiful. It should have been the theme of the Israelites' legacy instead of an isolated moment. But sadly, they would end up being characterized by fears, doubts, selfishness, and sin. It's a very sad story. They failed to stay on top of the waters, the waves of life, by trusting in the Lord. But as sad as that story is of God's people, both in the Old Old Testament there in Exodus 15 and 16, 
and in the New Testament there in John 6, neglecting to remember his great salvation in the Red Sea, neglecting to remember the great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Those miracles are not the most amazing miracle the Lord has ever performed. Nor are they his greatest act of salvation. There was a time when a group of people surfed upon a giant breaker wave, a greater breaker wave than anyone has ever surfed on before. You see, being kept from dying or being kept from starvation in our two stories by divine miraculous power is amazing wave to surf upon, to be sure. So much so it's worthy of praise and lifelong devotion to the Lord. And I hope you believe that. I hope you believe by looking at those stories, you're your heart says to you, those people should have stayed devoted to Jesus. They should have stayed devoted to God and should have stayed praising him and trusting in him all their lives because they were aware of what God had done for them. They were aware of their miracles. They had seen them with their eyes. They had been firsthand witnesses of God's amazing love in their lives. They should have stayed above the waves and stayed devoted to the Lord. But you see, there's one miracle and wave that tops them all. And this wave was for our sake. Jesus shattered the chains of sins upon our souls. He removed us from Satan's grasp and defeated death forever for our sake. Jesus protected us from a tsunami of fear, guilt, and consequences that were headed straight for us. And not only did he protect us, the Lord exerted his authority over that wave and he allowed us to surf on top of it. Amazing. To God's glory, an amazing act of salvation, an amazing act of protection, an amazing act of deliverance, the most amazing act that has ever taken place in the history of time. You see, according to Scripture, unlike the Israelites and the people of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, we weren't spared from near death. We weren't spared from near starvation. We were actually spared spiritual death, eternal death, according to what it says in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, when God came to our rescue, it said, and we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. See, we were already cut off from God. We were already awaiting eternal punishment. We were already awaiting eternal separation from God, which boggles our mind. Imagine how many bad things were coming our way because of our sins. The state of our souls, if the state of our souls was like a wave, a giant breaker wave, then we were already underneath the wave. We were on the bottom of the ocean. We were lifeless. We were dead. And we were doomed. When the Lord came to save us, he didn't spare us from an Egyptian army. He didn't spare us from going a few days without food. He spared us from the eternal grave. We went from being dead on the bottom of the ocean to surfing on top of the most amazing giant breaker wave of all time, eternal death. We were suddenly recipients of God's complete forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus. Amen. Not only that, but God did all this at the cost of his own son's precious life and blood. As amazing as it is to split the Red Sea into two, as amazing as it is to separate a small meal to five to 10,000 people to be stuffed from, neither of those miracles can even compare with saving us from the grip of Satan, from the consequences of eternal death because of our sinfulness, at the cost of the blood of the Son of God. Nothing, no wave, no storm compares to that one. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever treated the Lord with such disdain as the children of Israel did in the wilderness or the followers of Jesus did in John chapter 6 by standing up and walking away from Jesus after he spoke some truths into their lives. But I am going to assume that each of us have done this to some degree in our lives. I know I have. I have treated the Lord with this kind of disdain in my life before. And it's incredibly sad to consider because he's not worthy of that, is he? He's worthy of something much, much greater. But I want to assume today that we have been guilty of this. We have been guilty of wondering if the Lord has abandoned us at some point in our lives, or perhaps even more staggering to consider, that we were ready to be done with Christianity altogether. 
ready to go back to the world, ready to go back to Satan, because we feel, just like the Israelites, our life was better then than it is now with the Lord guiding us. It's shocking, but it's true. Let's imagine that in our anger and frustration, we murmur unto the Lord, inquiring why he had abandoned us, going so far as to wonder if he even exists. Or even worse, that perhaps his sovereign plan was to abandon us when we needed him the most. That's so evil to even consider, I know. But I know I've done this to some degree, and I'm going to assume that you have as well. Maybe, perhaps, saying to the Lord, Lord, have you abandoned me? Lord, where are you? Lord, do you even love me? Lord, do you even exist? It's evil. It's sad. But I know I've done this to some degree. What must that feel like to the Lord? What must it feel like for the Lord to save us from the most giant breaker wave, eternal death, the giant, most giant breaker wave of all time, and to hear from us then in periods of our life that he has abandoned us to left us to die? All while he is forever wearing the scars of the nails in his hands and feet from the cross. What must that be like for the Lord to hear that from his people? who he went to such lengths and such depths to save us, to love us, to redeem us. Imagine going up to the person in your life who loves you the most. Maybe it's your spouse or next week is Mother's Day. Imagine going up to someone who loves you the most in this life and not only not thanking them for that love, but accusing them of never actually loving you or possibly even being cruel to you all their life. Would there ever be anything that could wound someone more than that? That could be more cruel for someone to hear who has poured their love into your life, all your life, to hear that maybe you think they never loved you? Instead of giving and thanking them for their faithful love, we question their love. What's the point of this today? We need to consider this question. What does it mean to genuinely love the Lord. What does it mean to genuinely love the Lord? We must ask today, do we actually genuinely love the Lord or just his stuff? Just his blessings? Are we fickle? Do we love the Lord on the mountaintops and ready to walk away from him in the valleys? When we're on top of the giant waves, are we ready to praise him and sing songs to him and love him and make bold declarations to him and then only moments and days later, we feel like the little waves of life are going to kill us. Did the Israelites actually love the Lord? Like their praise song in Exodus 15 suggests? Almost every opportunity they had after that period to surf on top of the giant waves of life and trust the Lord, instead they panicked. They began to murmur and complain to Moses, and they were convinced that they were going to drown. <coughs> Back in John chapter 6, after Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 people and loved them even further by speaking truth into their life, that they needed a different sort of bread, the bread of life, they got up, they walked away, and they never returned. These people had just surfed on a, a giant breaker wave thanks to the provisions and salvation of God through Jesus. And now, as soon as some difficult truths come to their ears, they're terrified of the waves, and they're ready to leave the ocean or the Christian life for good. I'm done. I can't take anymore. I'm out of here. So I ask again, did these people actually love the Lord? Their words say they did, but their actions say they did not. And if they didn't love the Lord, then what was all the praise and worship and adoration about in Exodus chapter 15? If they didn't love the Lord, then why offer thanksgiving to him at all? And this is where we discover a very big problem with people on the earth. See, there's a very big difference between loving the Lord and loving the Lord's stuff. Or if you'll humor me, there's a very big difference between looking at the giant waves of life as a wave to be surfed on top of by God's promises or looking at the wave like it was sent by God to crush us. When the Israelites were protected and fed and safe, they praised the Lord because they felt on top of the giant wave. But when they were called to go without food for a short while, they complained and murmured and doubted their God because they felt like the waves were going to kill them. 
You see, the children of Israel didn't really love the Lord. They proved they only loved themselves. In their estimation, the Lord was simply a butler for their fleshly needs. If they were always on top of the ways of life, and the Lord was serving their every desire, their every whim, then they were happy. They were ready to praise the Lord. They were full of euphoria. But if the Lord made them wait, or if his plan looked different than theirs did, then they thought for sure that the waves of life were going to crush them, and they wanted nothing to do with God. They made idols. They actually made idols, which Pastor Mel is going to speak to us in a couple weeks. They formulated an idol to worship and bow down to instead of the Lord, to give their praise to a statue instead of the Lord that had actually loved them and provided for them and protected them all their lives. Fickle, self-serving love. And sadly, this is not just a nation of Israel problem. I wish it was, but it's actually a problem with humanity. Even us. We don't often love the Lord like we sing about when we're in a worship, praise um, experience like that. Sadly, what we love is our idea of a Lord who always blesses us, who always makes life easy, who always makes life successful and joy-filled. If we have a Lord that does that, our ideal version of the Lord, then yes, we're going to praise him in songs with bold declarations of our love to him. I found this uh, phrase, this phrase from a song that maybe you'll know. It says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. And I'm not judging our hearts today, but I can't help but notice patterns, even in my own life, of what the Israelites were and what we still are today. At the first sign of affliction or hardship or having to be patient, do we look at the waves completely differently in our lives? Are we ready to cast the Lord away from our lives and turn back to the world? Turn back to sin? We could call it Sunday Christianity. On Sundays, we feel on top of the waves. And in loud declarations, we offer up ourselves to the Lord in devotion and faithful service. But then Monday comes. And we feel we're underneath the waves of life and we're practically living like atheists. Acting like there's not even a God. Acting like God has never watched over us. Acting like maybe God doesn't love us at all. Listen to what Jesus said to a group of religious people one time in Matthew chapter 15. He said, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The goal of this lesson is not to shame us or to make us feel guilty. This is not the point of the lesson of the children of Israel. The point is to answer two questions today, okay? Number one is, what is our Lord worthy of? What is he worthy of? Is he worthy of praise, trust, and devotion? Or is he worthy of complaining, worry, and fickle love? I'm going to ask it this way. What waves has God brought you through already? What waves... Has the Lord protected you from already? If you're a Christian, I know he's protected you from the most giant wave that anyone has ever had coming at them, eternal death. I know that's a reality. So I know you have a powerful testimony of God's salvation and protection in your life. But what else? What else has the Lord taken you out of? What else has the Lord protected you from? What else has the Lord provided for you in your life? Make a list. Like the old song says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Maybe that's what we need to do to remember what God has done and brought us through and provided for us. But what is he worthy of? And number two, do we actually love the Lord or just his blessings towards us? And I can't answer that question for you. I I can only answer that question for myself. But that's a question we all need to ask today. Do we just love the Lord's stuff? Do we just want him to bless us and get out of our way? Or do we actually love him, his plan, for our lives, no matter what that looks like. See, the children of Israel experienced one of the most amazing miracles, and it still wasn't enough for the Lord to have their trust and their devotion. They literally saw the water on their left and on their right and experienced God's amazing protection and provisions through one of the most amazing miracles of all time. It was a mighty big wave the children of Israel surfed that day. A mighty big wave. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine walking through on dry ground while the laws of physics are defied in front of you? That's an amazing thing to have witnessed. 
But sadly, again, only a few days later, some much smaller waves come. Food, hunger, pain, and thirst, and things like that. And they're ready and convinced to blame the Lord for being so cruel and blaming him that he brought them out to the wilderness to kill them. And we can't change history once again. The Israelites made their choices, and they will forever live with those consequences. But you and I have a unique opportunity today to either mimic their response and be convinced that the waves of life were sent by God to kill us, or we can grab our spiritual surfboards by God's strength and wisdom, and we can be ready to surf any wave that life throws at us by simply trusting our great God for his glory. See, we don't have to fear the waves of life. We don't. Because the creator of all those waves and the creator of us has proven that he loves us with such an intensity, such a depth, that he wouldn't even spare his son when it meant saving us from our sins. We have received a a salvation much beyond the children of Israel by the Red Sea deliverance. Thanks to God's grace through Jesus, we have surfed the most giant breaker wave of all time. God split open the chains of sin and death that bound us, and he delivered us forevermore. Listen to what Colossians 1, 13-14 says. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. I hope you say amen to that today. We went from being eternally dead to being eternally alive in Jesus. Praise the Lord. And now the earth, on this earth, the needs of our physical lives are like constant little waves coming at us each day. Food, shelter, clothing, bills, rent, health, relationships. On and on the waves keep coming. And what the Lord asks from us is our trust and our sold-out devotion to him, remembering how he once enabled us to surf on top of the most giant breaker wave of all time, our salvation and our forgiveness of sins through Jesus. No wave compares to that wave. The waves of life that we're experiencing now, even in the midst of this pandemic, are puny in comparison to the wave of eternal death. And so our last question is this, how will we live? How then will we live? What waves has he brought you through? And what does he deserve from you? Thankfully, in the John 6 account, the John 6 story, it sort of has a happy ending. After that really sad, devastating verse in John 66, John 6, 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. But in verse 67, Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter said, we are devoted to you, Lord. You are worthy of our trust and our devotion. To whom shall we go? I hope you can say that confidently today. To whom shall I go? Lord, you are worthy of my devotion. Before we close today, listen to the worship song that is sung right now in heaven from those who know what the Lord is worthy of. We find it in Revelation chapter 4. Listen to this song of praise unto the Lord, sung in heaven this very moment. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who is seated on that throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Very simply today, will you and I rise above the waves of life no matter the size of the wave 
by trusting in the Lord and staying devoted to him. That's what we should learn from the children of Israel. That's what we should learn from John chapter 6. We need to change the pattern from doing the exact same thing, from being so fickle up one day, down the next, trusting in the Lord on the mountaintops, abandoning him in the valleys. So that song in Revelation 4 can be our song, our song, our legacy unto the Lord, a full, genuine, proven love to the Lord for how good he is to our lives. Church, Wyoming Valley Church, grab your spiritual surfboard and be ready to rise above the waves of life by God's grace and for God's glory. The Israelites knew. They knew what God had done for them. They experienced it. They recognized it. They paid attention to the details of it. And they praised the Lord for it. What has the Lord done for you? Is the Lord worthy of our trust and devotion? And I hope you would say, absolutely. He is for the rest of my life. And that's what I desire to give him. And I will be different than the children of Israel I will give him my praise in the mountaintops and in the valley. I will need him on the mountaintops and in the valley. And I will stay devoted to him all my life because of how good he is, because of what his name means, because of the deliverance that he's given me of my soul over sin and death, and because Jesus is wearing my scars of death forever. What is the Lord worthy of? I pray that you'd question that today, come to that conclusion that he is worthy of our everything change the pattern, live differently than the Israelites, and may the Lord receive an enormous life and legacy of praise and devotion and worship. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we thank you for the message. Even though it's a hard message, it's a tough one to work through and think about, and it's sad to consider. It's necessary for us, and I thank you for bringing it to our attention today. Lord, I've acted this way before in my life, and I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to treat you with fickle love, fickle devotion, vain worship anymore. I want you to have my life. I want you to have the life of our church. I want all of us to line up behind Jesus and say, Jesus, wherever, whoever, however long you say, I will go wherever you go. Because of who you are, because of what you've done because of what you're worthy of. Lord, help us, remind us, help us make a list, help us be different, help us remind each other, help us set before us every single day the great salvation, the great wave we once surfed. Thanks to your grace and your protection and thanks to the blood of Jesus. Father, thank you for this message. Help us today to be different, to act differently, to set an example to other parts of this world, to our community, to our families, to our coworkers when we can get back at it of how good you are, of how much we love you, and how much we're staying devoted to you for the rest of our lives. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wyoming Valley Church, thank you for tuning in today. I hope it was a blessing to you. Remember, Wednesday, we're going to do our church family time on the Zoom meetings app. We hope you would join us for that. Many blessings to you. We're praying for you. God bless.